The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. We're getting down to the final days, and I still, on all the lists I have checked, Josh, not seen one official on any of the potential trade lists. The deadline is looming. No officials look to be in imminent danger of being traded. You know, it's it upsets the family. You have to move and all the rest. But it looks like we'll be okay this year. Uh, you know, the most most that they have to worry about is updating the, the the sheets or the roster cards before the game to say, you know, which guys are going where. Always a fun day after the trade deadline when, you know, you get used to who's playing for which teams. You get used to which guys you're watching out for, who to be familiar with when they're on the ice. And then all of a sudden... They switch teams, they switch numbers, and you really have to check those scorecards in your pregame meetings. So while the refs and the linesmen avoid actually changing locations, no shortage of excitement for them as we get closer to the trade deadline. We'll see what happens over the next week. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow the social channels to get all kinds of cool info from Josh on both X and Instagram at Scouting the Refs. From me, well, you'll get all kinds of stuff at Todd Lewis Sports on X and Instagram. On this week's episode... The return of ref cam, blades of glory, friendly fire, stick shot, how many minutes for mouthing off, and it was a clean hit. I think we got everything there. A clean hit? No. Do, do those happen, or do we have to fight after each one? I'm not sure, Todd. I, I've, I've lost count. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> Last week, had what we anticipated would be the call of the year and Garrett Rank announcing a penalty. This time, we have a little bit of a different announcement we want to roll back. <laughs> Hagel needed to find Nick Paul in the slot, and he rips it past Sam Harrison. me. Are we alive or are we not alive? Yeah, the official's clearly not aware that their mic is open. No, no official will be named as to who may have had the hot mic, but that was a hot mic, and I'm pretty sure that wasn't meant to go out. No, that was a game plagued with technical issues at Lightning Flyers, ironically, the power going out uh, with the lightning there, and just uh, we had issues with the lighting. We had issues with the broadcast truck, and apparently uh, some of the things switched on, including the officials' mics when... Maybe Francis Sharon, Mitch Dunning, and the linesman didn't quite expect that to be the case. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the lights, though, in that there was a, a dimming effect, we'll say, that took place in this game between the, the Flyers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The good news is that the, the game did go on. They just didn't have the brightest and best of lightning. But what's the process? What's the procedure that that takes place with the officials when something like that happens. So it's, it's an interesting situation. And uh, for those watching the game, because at least the Philadelphia broadcast was still on though. I think Tampa's was interrupted that what the officials will do is just see what's going on out there. Typically they'll get on the phone with the situation room, which you could see them don the headsets and they're, they're consulting with the league offices in Toronto to say, you know, are we delaying this game to get it fixed? Or is there a time when it's safe and both teams agree to play on? And, and that's what ended up happening, right? So they they paused, they delayed the game for some diagnostic work to see what was the cause of the lighting outage? Is it something that we can get corrected? And when it looked like the delay would be a little bit longer than they liked, the officials went to both teams, 
confirmed that both coaches were fine if they were to play with the lower level lighting. And I think not as big of a deal for the players as it is for the goaltenders. You're getting a, a different view of the puck. From what I could tell, the, the stands were very dark. So any pucks that are above boards height is going to be a little bit harder for them to track. And, and that's where the challenge is. But the goaltenders agreed, the coaches agreed. And with confirmation from the league office, they decided to continue play. So uh, interesting to see how it all worked out. You know, we're used to the, the delays when it's broken glass and we know we're not going to play till you fix it. But something like this, where it impacts the game, but it doesn't necessarily prevent you from playing. It was interesting to see that they were able to work through it. And I'll, I'll tell you, Todd, it didn't look as bad at home as I know it was in the arena. I think that the cameras do a lot to hide up that lighting difference, but it was it was a pretty significant uh, a, a cut in the amount of light going on the ice. There was a lot darker. Yeah, yeah, I can say I, if the lights were flicking on and off, that could yeah. be really troublesome. I don't right. know that you want to continue in that case. We <laughs> we have a sighting. We were happy to see it. Please, NHL, bring it back. The PWHL does it again and does it right. Ottawa, New York, refs were wearing ref cams on the helmet. Let's bring them back, please. I don't know why we don't. Look, I know we can't watch the game live, and I know the league wants to really control the footage that goes out there, but let's use it. Let's use it for replays. Let's use it for that other angle on the ice. I I know the NHL is very controlling about what they release. Maybe they're worried that the ref cam is going to show an angle on the play that that makes the officials look bad. But you know what? It's reality. It's what happens out there. It's with the broadcast cameras capture it. Let's show it. You want to be protective on the mics, fine. But I see no reason that the NHL is not using ref cam. They've improved the technology. They're lighter. They're not as cumbersome as they used to be. The PWHL is using it. Why are they ahead of the NHL? <laughs> Right there. Maybe we'll embarrass them into it. There, there was another uh, incident in that game as well with uh, a nasty hit from behind by uh, Abby Roke, who got some attention once again. Yeah, unfortunately, we got a hit from behind, which is the first ejection in PWHL history. We're seeing an ejection for a hit from behind on Amanda Boulier. Man, you have to feel bad for Boulier. Not only does she draw the first ejection for this checking from behind situation, but she also was the one on the receiving end of the hit that prompted the league's first suspension. So I'm not sure what makes her a target, Todd. But Maybe literally a target. Hopefully she's got to watch out out there. Yeah, that's uh, that's safety first, please. Uh, in the same uh, in the same uh, subject, as a matter of fact, uh, another official was caught in the crossfire. It was Ben O'Quinn who really got nailed with a puck, but did stay in the game after getting hit. Yeah, this was a, a scary play, as they often are when you see the officials get caught right in the crossfire. There, Charlie McAvoy is dumping the puck into the zone, and you can see he's very apologetic. Obviously, didn't mean to hit the linesman, but. Oh, Quinn's giving him the boards. He's got all that room. <laughs> McAvoy chose the wrong lane. Holy cow. Beans him right in the melon. Yeah, that's that's a scary play. And like you said, Todd, nice to see that there's not an injury on this play. Oh, Quinn was able to stay in the game. And hopefully, uh, you know, I can't really fault him. You're, you're trying to stay out of the way there. You're giving the guy the boards. And McAvoy hopefully can just look up and make sure he's got a clear path before he fires it in. That's exactly it. Look before you shoot, Charlie. It was uh, there was plenty of room along the boards. Could have been in right behind the net, no problem. Okay, uh, one or two other things to get to from a game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights this past week. We have seen skaters lose skate blades on a regular basis. It's no big deal. It happens. They pop in. They pop out. This one was a little bit different though because 
This time, it was Vegas goaltender Aiden Hill who wound up losing the blade from his skate. And as you can see, one trying to skate is one thing, but trying to play goal and slide from one end of the crease to the other is quite a different thing. Now, we have also seen that skaters eventually fumble their way to the bench and the play carries on. Why was the play stopped in this case? So we don't see it that often. Like you mentioned, Todd, it's usually the shove the guy to the bench. Let's get him off the ice. And, and partially that's out of convenience because a, a player can go off on a line change and it's probably a little more efficient to have him do that. It's rare that we see the play stopped, but the play can be under rule 65 too. It specifies that, uh, that play shall not be stopped or the game delay due to adjustments to equipment, clothing, skates, sticks, things like that. With one caveat, if a player or a goalkeeper loses or breaks a skate blade, the referee may allow the play to be completed and then stop play. And that's exactly what we saw in this situation. You can't blow the whistle immediately. It's it's even, you know, when a goaltender loses a glove, when they you lose their mask, things like that, and fans are up in arms that it's not safe, you can't blow the whistle, even without the mask, unless there's an imminent scoring chance. So the same kind of thought process is here. In this case, it's not the imminent scoring chance, but the completion of the play. So once the puck gets out of the attacking zone, it's at the official's discretion to blow the whistle and stop the game. That's what they did here. It's it's in the rule book. Like I said, we don't usually see it with players because it's just as easy for them to get off the ice before the play is over and get a new guy back on there. So a little more leeway, but it was the right call, even if it's at the official's discretion on whether or not to stop it. But I mean, the play is completed. The puck's out of the zone. It's not like Toronto was robbed of a scoring chance. It's it's not like they lost a sure goal. Uh, if you saw the whistle blow when they had possession in the attacking zone or when they're shooting the puck, it's a different argument. But I, I can't see how anybody has a problem with this situation. Well, look, you, you want more scoring, you want more offense, and it's, there's nothing in the rule book that says goaltenders can't change on the fly and skate over to the bench. So let's just leave it the way it is. Make it the same for everybody. We want Man. consistency, don't we? I uh, Who was it? Was it Roger Nielsen that did it? I almost I want to say even Mike Keenan may have done it once before, but I do remember there was a situation of goaltenders changing on the fly at one point in NHL history. So it has been done. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think one of those two is right. It might've been Mike Keenan now that you mentioned it. Yes. And I could see, I could see him doing it as well. So there was, there was another incident in this game where uh, a call was missed. It was William Carlson of the Vegas Golden Knights who shot Alex Petrangelo's stick back to him to help him retrieve it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a penalty? You can't do that. Yes, it is a penalty. You're not allowed to push a player's stick to him. And this is one of them that we've seen players get away with. And if you can do it without detection, maybe you can get away with it. But if you don't, you're looking at a minor penalty. Players are not allowed to push a stick to a teammate. They're not allowed to flip a stick to a teammate. The exception is with goaltender sticks. You have a little more room there on what they're allowed to do to get a goaltender his stick back. But you can't pass the stick to your teammate. Doesn't matter what zone you're in. Doesn't matter where you're out on the ice. You can't do it. And he got away with one here. Yeah, okay. In the same game, uh, I want to recap a situation for you and tell me how this plays out. It was the it was late in this game. The the Leafs winning streak is coming to an end. The the game's been decided. Sheldon Keefe is giving it to the officials about a penalty call um, that he didn't particularly care for, and Keefe winds up getting a, a misconduct and toss from the game. That that happens periodically, correct? Coach yep. just says something a little too much, gets a little heated, and eventually. The ref says, that's enough. You're done for the night. You can go take a shower. Pretty standard Absolutely. stuff, right? Okay. Yep, that's, and that's what happened here. We saw Keith. Keith got the uh, the shutdown from referee Peter McDougal. Uh, I think that's when he was most fired up, cursing, dropping bombs at the officials, things like that. He was warned. 
he kept at it after the next stoppage and and got tossed from the game. So that's that's it's par for the course there. I would say you know you don't want to do it, but in a late game, things like that, you're going to tell him when you've had enough. And once you cross that line, even if it's only crossing it a little bit, obviously Garrett Rank, Peter McDougal thought they'd heard enough from Keith. Okay, so in another game between the Buffalo Sabers and the Florida Panthers. This was a close game, about halfway through the, the third period. Uh, Buffalo is down a goal to the Florida Panthers when the Sabres' Zach Benson gets called for a tripping penalty. Buffalo head coach Don Granato doesn't like the call, and he is expressing his viewpoint in a not overly, but definitely an animated and heated manner. I don't know exactly what he said, couldn't read lips, but he got a two-minute bench minor when Keefe got a misconduct. So that meant that Buffalo had a full two-minute, two-men-down power or penalty kill coming up. Florida scored on the ensuing power play with a, with the five-on-three. What's the decision? What's the discretion? How do officials decide whether it's a two, whether it's a 10? How does that work? It's, it's a tough one in the books because it, you, this is one of the ones, Todd, that I feel like you start reading the rule book and you you try to go by what's written and you go by what the league has done in the past and what the officials have done and and what's in their their case book which is not published they don't make that public but that often has some clarifications or tweaks to how the rules are actually interpreted and assessed so we're not privy to that part of it and i think that creates a lot of confusion because the officials might be operating under some different or slightly modified rules than the ones that are actually in the rule book Officially speaking, if you're if you're looking at officials who are, you know, doing the the normal minor penalty for obscene gestures at a at a person or something like that, it's a minor penalty. That's what we see with guys on the ice. That's what we see, and we saw with Granado when it comes to things from the bench. The game misconducts, the the ten minute misconduct penalties, those are typically for folks who persist in those types of things. If they're already penalized, they keep at it. That's when you're going to tack on a little bit more. It's it's usually that you're escalating it, right? You get the minor penalty, then we're going to tack on a misconduct penalty. But we've seen plenty of times at the official's discretion where they're using the 10 minute minors or the, 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 they're using the 10 minute misconduct penalties to avoid creating a shorthanded situation, or they're, they're tossing the coach to avoid creating a shorthanded situation. They're punishing the individual and not necessarily the team. So it's at the official's discretion on how they're handling those, whether it's deserving of a minor penalty, whether this is something that's going to put a team shorthanded or whether we're looking at it as a coach getting tossed and getting basically a, a bench misconduct where there's no change in manpower on the ice. However, you're gone for the rest of the game. And I think you really need to break it down to the officials. What was being said there? What rose to the level where one situation should have resulted in a penalty and a subsequent power play on the ice, like you said, putting the team down two men versus just tossing the coach with no additional change in manpower? Yeah, and this, and this is the tough part. So I, I guess you're thinking if you're the official, he would have been warned. You're, right. you're, you're at the line, you're getting close to the line, knock it off or you're going to get something or get something more. But- what what drives it over to that point? If you toss the coach at that point, you still got half a period to play as opposed to Sheldon Keefe, where I think was maybe a minute left and the game was decided. It was not going to change the result. So it's it's a difficult balance that you have to figure through. Yeah, and, and I think it, the hard part is setting that standard. And like you said, Todd, you've been warned, right? Nobody's tossing a coach unexpectedly. They're telling him, hey, that's enough. You know, one more and I'll do it. 
I'd, you know, I, if you told one coaches to be, uh, as aggressive as they are, maybe the minor penalty is the way to go here and you warn them and you give them plenty of rope and you tell them, look, next time you do it, forget, uh, I'm going to give you the minor penalty and you're going to feel it on the ice. So not only are you going to be frustrated and be gone for the night, but you're going to feel it on the ice. And I think some coaches, I'm not saying that Keith did it here, but he had a quick chat with one of his assistants before he ended up getting tossed. And you never know how much of it is strategy to say, you know what, I'm going to try to fire our team up. I'm going to get myself tossed. We're going to make them feel like the refs are out to get us. And maybe, maybe that'll fire us up for a little spark here at the end of the game. And, and it's a valid strategy. All of a sudden you give them a two minute penalty instead, and you put yourself shorthanded or down an extra man. Maybe the coaches find their manners a bit more easily behind the bench there. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult balancing act. And I don't know which is which is right, but it just struck me as curious. Yeah. Okay, let's get to the big hit of the week. And that, of course, occurred in the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets New York Rangers game, where Columbus jacket forward Johnny Gaudreau gets absolutely walloped and clobbered in the neutral zone by Vincent Trocheck. You know, as if Columbus needed more to go wrong this year is Johnny Gaudreau getting caught with his head down and he is just absolutely thumped. Of course, the big scrum ensues and there's the big nice cross check there and a whole bunch of grabbing and face washing and all the rest of it. Once things did settle down, the officials did call a major penalty, which of course initiates the review. It is a devastating hit, but it's not a penalty. It's not. And I'm glad this is one of those plays where I'm glad that we have the review process because I think the officials got it right here. Uh, even the broadcast crew, I, I was listening to the Rangers broadcast of it and they were, they were upset about the hit to the head of Gaudreau. And the, uh, the color commentator says, well, you know, looking at it again, he, he got him in the shoulder. You know, I'm, I'm glad because it did look bad. I mean, the way Gaudreau fell, the way he looked like he was injured on the play looked like, like you said, a devastating hit, but Trocek did everything right. Uh, Gaudreau's coming across the ice with his head down. Trocek wants to deliver a legal body check. And look, now we can use player safety's wording, but we can actually use the inverse because these are the things he did. He looked to minimize contact or ensure that he delivered body contact and made the body the main point of contact or hit through the player's core on a play where head contact was avoidable. It was avoidable. He didn't have to drive through Gaudreau's head. He chose the shoulder. He nailed him, and it was like it was a rough hit. It was a good one, but it was legal. It was clean. You look at the uh, another Rangers game. You look at the Rempe hit on Bastion against the Devils, where he didn't do everything he could to avoid head contact on that hit. Well, Trocek did on this one. He could have done the same thing. He could have driven right through Gaudreau's head. We would have had a far more serious injury and a far more severe penalty. He didn't. It was shoulder on shoulder. So good for refs Francis Sharon and Furman South to take a second look at it and get the call right. And it, it looks to me as we're, we're watching this again, it looks like Trocek is really almost pulling up at the end of this yeah. too. To, he realizes this is going to be an enormous collision and he doesn't want to drive him into the second or third row, which he absolutely could have done. Think back to a, a few years ago before there was all this focus. It, it would have been the objective of that player to blow up the opponent. Right, exactly. Look at how many hits were made, how many careers were ended based on hits like that, or at least that contributed to the premature ending of a number of careers. So it was good for him to do that, good for him to make it shoulder to shoulder. You, you still have that body contact. You're not going to avoid it, but he avoided the hit to the head. And you know when players say or when fans say, well, what's a player supposed to do? point to this hit and say, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to not hit him in the head and, and Trocek avoided doing so and avoided getting a penalty as a result. Uh, yeah, it seems strange, but Vincent Trocek can say <laughs> afterwards, safety first. Good stuff, man. Get in the box. It's 
the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. They're good, my book. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.